that's around America. It's episode nine of the Buddhaverse. It's W here on the Buddhaverse. I tell you what, when they say 43 come out of retirement and play ball, I'm their man. I tell you what, the Booters put one of my famous presidential speeches right in the middle of that interview. You're going to want to stay tuned. Thank you, Mr. President. We'll be hearing from you a little later. This is episode 9 of the Booterverse. Artist Lennon Maholsky is here, and we actually travel to his studio to conduct the interview. As always, Judy Scheinbaum is here to answer your questions, and Marsha is back with a segment we like to call Mornings with Marsha. All today on the Booterverse. Buddha. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Engagement Photos. Engagement Photos, because everybody wanted to know how big that ring really was. Buddha. And now for news in my orbit. Simon Stump, an archaeologist from the University of Phoenix, rocked the linguistics world last week when he announced that after two years of exhausted research, he has determined that ancient Greek symbols are actually a very early form of Pinterest. The meaning of those pictographs has eluded scholars for decades, but Stump is now convinced that the hieroglyphs are merely what the fashionable Minoans of the day wanted to wear, eat, and hang on the walls of their bathroom. Two of the most obscure characters, Stump believes, are actually representative of a Spartan fitness fad called the Peloponnesian Crunch. The most followed board was the Zakros tablet, which featured diet tips and DIY labyrinth designs. Stump is now hard at work with his new theory that the as-yet-undeciphered Olmec script was the ancient Mesoamerican version of Yelp. In health news, the panic that swept a small Ohio city has been quelled, now that a reported Ebola outbreak has been found to be merely a small rash of gonorrhea. The majority of the cases occurred on the campus of Miami University in Ohio, where Patient Zero was a member of the Pi Kappa Phi fraternity. Ebola was initially suspected because the student had recently traveled to Cleveland, where it was possible that he had come into contact with persons from the African continent. The president of the university and the director of student health both expressed embarrassment after a CDC team was airlifted in and made their diagnosis in less than two minutes. A back-to-school kegger was cited as the source of the STD outbreak, and in a statement, a representative for student health admitted he didn't know how they had managed to drop the ball on this one. He stated that they usually blamed everything from paper cuts to the flu on STDs and that they wouldn't let it happen again. If you're worried, just know that everyone on campus is being given a two-week course of antibiotics just to be on the safe side. Further on in bird news, for those of you who love both a good cause and a viral video, now you can get in on the chicken bucket challenge. Started by the family of a North Carolina man, Lonnie Harness, the challenge is to dump a bucket of chicken over one's head or else you pay $100 to a fund that, quote-unquote, cures Lonnie of meth. The only stipulation is that the chicken be either KFC, Churches, or Bojangles. According to the Chicken Bucket Challenge website, if the only chicken available to you is Lee's famous recipe or Popeye's, they'll let it slide, provided you also pour a side of slaw over your face. The only purveyor of fried bird that's completely unacceptable is Roy Rogers, due to a nasty incident with some baked beans Harness's brother had in the late 1970s. So far, the family has raised all of $127.53. $100 is from a woman who was unable to rise to the challenge because of a gluten sensitivity. And the rest of the money has come from what they've managed to dig out of their cousin's couch cushions. They hope to raise at least $500 by the start of squirrel season, which Harness has missed the last two years on account of his addiction. 
And in beauty news, a multi-million dollar beauty fad might now be teetering on the brink of destruction. This is after an anonymous source has come forward with allegations that oil of Morocco is neither oil nor is it from Morocco. The whistleblower who claims to be a chemist says that the substance in question is actually grease, not strictly an oil. She has traced its source back to a single duck processing factory in rural China. Who cares if it really does give you silkier, shinier hair, she protested. I'm all for the truth in advertising, and they ought to call it duck grease of Pyongyang. She then continued, I mean, who wouldn't still buy it if it works? I sure as heck would. Oil of Morocco sounds like some sketchy petroleum cartel anyway. So far, there has been no comment from either OPEC or the Organics Company, the biggest distributor of Oil of Morocco products. And that's been news in my orbit. Buddha. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Labor Day. Labor Day. Because we all needed another holiday to make mothers feel special. Buddha. And now for a segment we like to call Mornings with Marsha. Marsha, thanks so much for being with us on the show. How are you? Oh, Amory, I'm so fine there and good, don't you know? Life is just a bottle of roses, and I'm just so glad to be on the show coming at you from Mishawaka, Wisconsin. And I'll tell y'all what, we are experiencing a bit of a heat wave over here ourselves. I mean, it's getting to about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, and my God, it's like the Lord himself used his laser vision beams to warm up the countryside, and we are just happy that he has. That's wonderful, Marsha. I'm glad that things are warming up in Mishawaka. Oh, seriously, Emery, you know things are always warm here, if not in our hearts and in our stoves, then certainly in our weather during one month a year. And that one month is upon us. Oh, yeah, betcha. You betcha, don't you know, because this month right here is the time in our lives when we just go all out. That's right, Walt gets on another one of his Hawaiian shirts that he loves so much and can only wear one couple times a year there. And uh, he just struts around the back deck in his little Hawaiian shirt and shorts. And I'll tell you what, he starts frying up some fish there because we eat tilapia, you know, just all kinds of times of the year there. And uh, he just loves being out there, the, the grill meister as he likes to be called. And uh, I tell you what, I just love indulging him, seeing him in there, his little chef's apron, and sometimes he even wears one of them floppy hats that he got down there at the hardware store. And, and I tell you what, they just love him so much down there at that store. You know, he's always buying hammers and nails and duct tape and whatnot. You know, Walt's saying always is, you know, if it can't be fixed with hammer and duct tape, it just can't be fixed. <laughs> I'm sure it can't, Marsha. Oh, seriously, Emery, I know you're a bit of a handyman yourself sitting there in your cute little bow tie. I see ya. Don't think I don't know what you're doing, even from states away. I see what you're up to there, ya, ya lovely fashionista there. I love ya. And seriously, Walt and I have started macraméing a little bit, and we're gonna macramé you a little bow tie and send it your way in a little USPS there, don't you know? Marsha, did you just say you're going to send me a macrame bow tie? Oh, of course they are, Emery. Of course we will. We just love sending you little presents. Did you get the doilies Mama Jan sent you the other day? I did, in fact, get the doilies. Oh, well, are you using them? Because those are great for just all kind of manner of end tables, or you could put them on a lamp there for some provocative lighting. You know, sometimes when Walt wants to get me in the mood, he'll put a little doily on the, uh, the lampshade there, and my goodness, it just gets us all revved up for the Wisconsin winters and sometimes summers too, if you know what I mean. Well, Marsha, I think you should probably write a book about how Walt gets you in the mood. 
oh, there aren't enough words and pages to contain the lovelihood that that man has to offer. I tell you what, any woman would be lovely to get him, but if they do, they'll be facing the broadside of my axe, if you know what I mean there. <laughs> I know you're very protective of Walt, Marsha, and that's, that's a lovely sentiment for a wife to have. Oh, that's right there, and not just Walt. I'm very protective of the whole brood there, you know, because we've got Cousin Marty, and then we've got Aunt Meredith, and she, you know, just had leg surgery not the other day. She fell, she slipped on not some ice now, but she slipped on some sand that fell off the back of a truck there. That's right, they're important sand up to the beaches, or what we call the lake. I tell you what, she just slipped on that sand, and she heard her bum dingle right there, and it was sad. She was scary for a while. We had to take her to the ER, the emergency room as they call it. And I'll tell you what there, Emery, it was touch and go. Touch and go. I'll tell you, the doctors didn't want to touch her. They just wanted to go, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Marsha, this is one time I actually know exactly what you mean. Well, and of course there, the twins are great though, you know, but I'm very protective of those little buggers. I tell you what, they're in high school now and swear to the Lord himself, if I swore and if I knew him, that he has just made those boys just so crazy. They're starting to drive now, 16 years old, and those twins are little speed demons. I tell you what, they're going to follow in Dale Earnhardt's little britches there. And I'll tell you what, thank God there's a fire retardant uniform they could wear. Because I tell you what, those kids are exploding more than firecrackers, if you know what I mean. And that's not something for the authorities to hear, because, you know, they could get in some trouble with the stuff they do in the woods out back there. But, you know, moms don't know those sorts of things. But one time I did read their diaries, and my goodness, those boys are up to no good. But you know what? We still love them, and we care about them, and sometimes we have the priest say a little prayer for them, because, you know, that's what we do here in Mishawaka, Wisconsin. And Emery, the invitation is always open to you. Come on up for some mornings with Marsha. I'll flip you up some flapjacks, put you some eggs on the griddle, and we'll just have a gay old time. Well, thank you, Marsha. I'll keep that in mind. This has been another episode of Mornings with Marsha. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Delmatians. Delmatians, the perfect bait for villainous old ladies who love wearing fur. And now, for The Last Lung with Judy. Judy Scheinbaum, you're on the Booterverse. Thank you, Emery. As you know, a lot of viewers have been sending in questions, and if you want to send in a question, go ahead and email Buddhaverse at thebuddha.com. It's not the Buddha like that lovely, bald-headed, big-bellied, lovable man. It's Buddha. B-U-T-E-R. I want to hear your questions. I want to see where you're coming from, and I want to help you out, my lovelies. So for today's first question, from Jill in Johannesburg, she says, Would you wear white after Labor Day? Well, of course I'd wear white after Labor Day. I wear white whenever I want to wear white. It's a beautiful color, a lack thereof, or all the colors mixed together. I don't know what it is, but I like it. So of course I'll wear white after Labor Day. I'm a fashion plate. I do what I want. People follow my lead. I don't follow other people's leads, if you know what I mean. And you should do the same. If you want to wear white after Labor Day, go ahead. But if you're wearing white patent leather loafers, there's something wrong with you. The second question I have is this. Settle a bet for me between my mother and myself. Who's hotter, Mel Gibson or Jeff Bridges? Oh my, ladies. Well, we've got a couple different things that we gotta talk about. I think you know, I used to be a big fan of the Mel. You know, during the first couple movies, he was a lovely man. But sometimes we go a little crazy cuckoo in the noggin. And something happened there. And I don't know what happened with this Baba Ganoush. But let me tell you, 
the man has left the planet. You know, normally I would have said he's lovely. I mean, did you see him in What Woman Want? He was a vision. I mean, a vision. I haven't wanted to see a man in tights more than Mel Brooks in Blazing Saddles, but enough said. So, if I had to choose between Mel Gibson and Jeff Bridges, I'll take that lovely folk singing son of a gun any day of the week over that Mel Gibson fella. A lot of people don't know this, but my daughter Eliza's favorite movie is The Big Lebowski. And I tell you what, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It is a gem of a little movie. And I don't necessarily like the message about the druggings. But let me tell you, if you like a good romp and a nice little rug that ties the room together, go for Jeff Bridges. Also, I liked him in the movie Tron. I don't like electronics, but I certainly like to see him light up the screen, if you know what I mean. My next question comes from a listener, Jody and Jasper. She writes, what is the best way to diet? Well, honey, the best way to diet is not to eat. <laughs> ah! But everybody can't do that. So what I'm going to suggest is you eat what you normally eat. Just cut back your portions. Be sensible about it. People ask me, Judy, how do you fill out your moo as well as you do? And I say it's this. Portion control. I have more control over my portions than NATO does over nuclear arms in Russia. You know what I mean? What we're doing here is important. Keeping our figures trim and slim for all the lovely people in our lives. It's a gift we give to society, and I for one am a giver. I haven't seen a priest of matzah I haven't loved. But you gotta understand something. Portion control. I talked to my rabbi one time about portion control. He said, Judy, your notes on moderation were wonderful. And I said, thank you, Rabbi. If you ever need me to do a class on moderation, just talk to my daughter about how junior high went. <laughs> but seriously, Eliza's doing well. No one asked, but I'm just going to say she's doing very good now. Uh, she hasn't bought anything off of QVC in quite some time. And I think we know she had a little bit of a problem a few months ago. But now she's doing great. And I want you to know your prayers have been appreciated. And no more Ginsu knives for that little gal. That's been it for The Last Lung with Judy. I love you all. Mwah. And that's been The Last Lung with Judy. We'll be back right after this. Buddha. Today's episode of The Buddhaverse is brought to you by Modern Art. Modern Art. I don't know whether to hang it up on a wall or throw it in the trash. Buddha. Welcome to another episode of The Buddhaverse. Let me tell you, we are in Lennon Maholsky's art studio, and if you want your canvases painted, you've come to the right place. Lennon, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Now, Lennon, you are considered an artist. You get paid for your art. What does that feel like? How did you become an artist? Um, I think I more or less wasn't good at much of any other situations, like, I don't know, math or science. But I enjoy them. But my folks were really big into music, hence my name. And now I've kind of just translated their musical intelligence into color and line. So you're not related to John and Yoko? I wish. More Stalin and, oh, maybe not. Maybe just the fabric. Well, I don't get much of that March Militaire in your sort of artwork when I, when I see it. So you, you've, you've shed your you know, Stalinistic roots well, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. That's the hippie vibe that my folks brought to light. Um, but there is still a little bit of demonic creatures that arise in my work. So Interesting. How do they come about? Uh, I would have to say um, evil demons, some sort of nightmares that you may have as young, maybe a, too much cartoons or scary movies, possibly reading, which I'm not too good at, but I try. 
Well, there you have it. I mean, heaven forbid you read Dante and, you know, all of his lovely layers of hell come to bear on your artwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I try to not make it so scary, as you can see. It's a little pretty. It, it is a little pretty, yeah. very colorful. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are, are watching, you can actually see we are sitting behind uh, some of Lennon's artwork right now, and it is uh, masterful, if I may say. Now, Lennon, what sort of gets you going in terms of painting, painting these pictures? Uh, I'm inspired by, uh, of course, by affecting the viewer in a more, more most case, uh, a positive essence. So uh, inspiration for me comes from movies or seeing other people's work that kind of hits on some of the storytelling that I'm involved with. And it typically is with machines and people kind of coming together as one. Interesting. Now, when was it the first time you were able to sell a piece of your work? Oh, I'd have to say back in college, probably. Wow. Thesis show. Yeah, most of that stuff went. But once again, I, I don't think that stuff was as conceptual as the stuff now. And, for instance, the, the stuff that I was doing out in Ethiopia is a lot less um, uh, layered, as you're seeing behind us, and more figurative and graphic. Well, we talked to Jess uh, a little while ago about the Art uh, for Ethiopia project mm-hmm. and all the, the wonderful murals you all did there. Is there a way that we could get my visage out on that African school? Yeah, definitely. More, we could get your full physique, or we can try to put your entire face out there. Would that be possible? Would it be? I'm asking you if it would yeah. be possible. Well, I mean, for you to pose or give us some of that inspiration. I mean, Lennon, you're, you're singing the songs of my language, my friend. I can see it. Just yeah. a huge angel face, but mm. of Emery, mm. just across <laughs> the plane. Could we put some wings behind me? Oh, no need. You have them all right. <sighs> So the bow tie doesn't actually help me fly. But with the Art for Ethiopia project, how did you get connected with that? Yeah, Jess is uh, very much an activist in many locations, but this one, of course, hit home for her, uh, Destiny Academy, and she needed someone to come over there and facilitate some sort of art uh, direction as well as documenting their process. And so getting involved with them, was mainly through Jess. Uh, she turned me on to uh, fellow mission workers and took me there mainly so that I can bring artwork to that school. And in a place, especially even here in America, where art isn't as seen as needed, it's even less over there. So in that case, there was a lot of athletes, and then I went because of um, art-related Right. And so how were those two things, sort of the athletic side and the artistic side, able to to coexist? I put the athletes to work. I encouraged (laughs) them to uh, get involved artistically. So um, when you have two dynamics of athletes, not saying that they don't uh, participate in art that much, but getting to be involved with a larger uh, work, which in their case, they're in college, involved with sports at a high level, and then allowing them to get involved in this high of level of art degree and giving them the chance to communicate with the students in that uh, language as well as inspire them from their own creative side, which is much different than mine who, um, you know, they have much of a fresher look. On, on the artwork. Sure, and athletes that are 19 and 20 who may not have been exposed to the artistic community or with actually doing art themselves, I'm sure it may have been a little uh, difficult for them uh, to, to get started, but I think with art, once you get started, it's uh, it's easy to keep on going. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I would have to say I learned a lot from their vantage point as well. So um, by all means, when I'm out there painting the mural or teaching the classes, they took uh, the, the, the wheel and they pretty much drove a lot of the workshops while I was kind of walking around critiquing and uh, correcting the other students. So. Absolutely. And so they're having paintbrushes and whatnot put in their hands, you know, in their early 20s. But you, I would assume, had a paintbrush in your hand much earlier. Yeah. Well, I would have to say little less than that because I unfortunately didn't start painting till college. Wow. Okay. So I did a lot of elementary and high school stuff, but it was never uh, painting. It was all digital. It was... Um, uh, more mixed media type work, of course, drawing. But and then until I came to Eastern Kentucky University, it was the first time I actually took a painting class. So, were you born in Kentucky? Mm-hmm. Yep, Lexington, purebred. And are you a thoroughbred? Nah, yeah, I would say so. Maybe, maybe a breeding horse. Oh, perhaps. Mm. Had they put you out to stud yet? <laughs> not yet. Oh my god. Well, okay, I guess not. Uh, but listen, that, those pastures are there for you, my friends. So don't feel don't feel like they're not. That's true. We have some mighty fine people here in Lexington, and some horses. You know, yeah. with whatever you know, one might enjoy. So when going to Ethiopia, it's got to be such a different dynamic than than your work here. How uh, talk to us about how it was a little different? Uh, the location and the the limitations of the of the space um, was way different. Of course, when I'm working in in here in the states, you can control your environment. Whereas I was out there outside, so this was the first time being in the elements of nature and then trying to make your craft. But um, the process is very much the same. It was just uh, pouring pigment and drawing realism, showing them how to shade and, and give value to their work, but also concept and, and some sort of meaning to it as well, but um, I would say the difference would be mainly time. I only had maybe three to five days to do the workshops and paint. Well, and with that time crunch, do you find that that added really unique and wonderful elements to your pieces that may not have happened if you had time to think through them a little bit more? Definitely. I think... um, I work intuitively in, in, in the most of the rawest of the moment. When I start planning things too much, they tend to fall through. So this was a perfect facility for me to just dive in and hope for the best. Sure. And how did the kids respond? Oh, loved it. Yeah. I mean, I made, uh, I don't want to say it. I encouraged them to uh, participate in the mural and design it in some sort of way that reflects their culture, such as the religion. More earth tones, less of these hot colors that you're seeing behind us, and mainly because of their culture is is brought up through a certain color palette, so I wanted to reflect that. Sure, and it's interesting you mentioned religion, but as Jess Ditto told us, several different religions are coexisting in this school together. Was there any sort of difference between one faith approached uh, their artistic endeavors and, and, and another faith approach, approached theirs? Um, I would say I didn't notice too much Muslim activity as much as was uh, said to be there. I mainly saw Christian-related uh, uh, Christian faith. Um, I'm sure there was different branches of that, but mainly we just broke down the idea of angels. So I feel like angels were are given in, in all realms. So a face is very common for them. They put their faces into the angel-esque moment. They feel divine. And I was just trying to reflect that without crossing too many boundaries of you know who you believe in as sure. as your savior. Well, if the divine was sort of represented, did anybody do a visage of Bette Midler? 
Ooh. I wouldn't be surprised. When you go back, you should do that. Yeah. Put myself and Bet right next to each other. It will <laughs> truly show how the divine can, you know, her can exist. Best Broadway look and you the same. Her in a red dress. That's what I've been known to do a little soft shoe myself. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Maybe Bet Midler and I could do a duet. Bet, if you're watching, you me, you me, you me, you duet. Hmm? Think about it. Okay, we're back. Now Lennon, you you went to Ethiopia. Any plans to go back? Uh, definitely. Um, most cases, what we put up will not last forever because of the, the limitations of the materials. So in this case, I will most likely go back to uh, revive the mural and uh, complete the inside of the space that we were working on with educational murals, such as the interior of the body and um, the language tree, more or less, talking about verbs and adjectives and whatnot. But... Um, and definitely going back and, and teaching art, because once again, there's uh, the principles were really iffy with us doing this at first. They felt it had no use to them other than math and science, and and you know the core elements. So um, to reiterate that would be nice to go back and and show them that it's still present. Absolutely, and as we know. Art and music is so connected with math and the sciences that to divorce the two is almost criminal in my mind. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, are you primarily living off of the artwork that you sell? I will go back and forth. I'll be able to sell enough to kind of uh, stay afloat. But then I do a lot of freelance work digitally. So there are many cases where I will uh, work with people in education with cameras and programs. But then also I I will do uh, part-time teaching for UK or there's a bunch of nonprofits I usually like to teach for. So I'm still teaching uh, elements that I, I do myself, but it's in just different atmospheres. So little bits in different locations. Now, you said you picked up a brush about the same time that these college athletes did. What made you try it? I, my teacher said I couldn't be a graphic designer. I was too out of the box for a controlled message to be sent for something to be sold. And... I had um, the painter teacher that was there at that time, and he just said, I will take him and let him be a painter now. So it was just by default. I went into college to be a photographer and designer. So, Well, if I may, this is probably a very personal question. How did that make you feel? Shot down. A lot of sad moments, but I got over it. Sure. Well, and rightly so. I mean, looking at your pieces, you most certainly got over it. Yeah. But, you know, your mom doesn't want you to be just painting. It's going to go nowhere, obviously. Well, I've never never met your mother. I'm sure she's a lovely woman. Yeah. And I'm sure she's very encouraging, or at least I hope she is. Oh, yeah. She helps pay for stuff way in the beginning. So it was very useful to have a mom who backs you up. Well, we will be right back right after this. And now, fake presidential speeches in history. Well, this ain't exactly a speech there, Paco. What we're doing is coming at you from beyond the presidency. I'm sitting here in Dallas. Some people call me a lover. Some people call me a fatter. I call myself a painter. What I can do with brushstrokes are more poignant than what I could have done at the presidency. Some people say, George, you made a difference. I like to think I'm making a difference now, but on canvas. Some people like to say that I ruined the American landscape. I like to say I like to paint the American landscape. Seriously, was my presidency that bad? I mean, look at it. We had eight years of some really fun times. There was that time I went on that aircraft carrier and made it look like I was awesome. 
There was that time when we did that one thing and Dick Cheney was there and had a heart attack. Also pretty funny. There was that time when I choked on a pretzel. Not very funny, but I think people got a chuckle. There was that time when Laura read that book to that one person at that one place. I was there. I saw it happen. Words are good, but painting is much better. People ask me, George, what's it like from beyond the presidency? What what are you going to do to help humanity? And I said, listen, what am I doing to help humanity? I'm painting it in all of its glory. God bless you, and God bless the United Paints of America. And we're back with Lennon Maholsky. Lennon, thanks again for being here. Thank you. Let's talk about this. We got to get it. It's the elephant in the room. Your last name. Mikulski, Maholsky, Mahewitt, Mahalversham. What? Why is it so difficult for me to say? I think because we're in the South. That's probably about it. So I would say Maholsky. But you can say Mikulski is more of the Northern approach. I see. Very judicious. Or we can go Madonna with just Lennon. I like that. Very that. cool. Very Just arty. Short. People call you L? Not yet. Would you like that to happen? That could be cool. I mean, we could start that right here, I right now. I might get confused at first, but let's start it. I mean, we'll do it. We can do it right here, right now. And I'll just keep calling you L for the rest of the interview. Yeah. Do you want Do you want this to be your P Diddy Puff Daddy Sean Diddy Combs moment? Snoop Dogg Lion. Absolutely. Yeah, I need to change it. It's about time. It's about time. So you've been Lennon for far too long. Too much. You're just going to L. Let's go. Shorten it. All right. One you've syllable. seen it. You've heard it. Don't, L Mikulski. Don't call me by my full name. We won't do it anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you've got this great name. Obviously, Lennon, John Lennon was your namesake. Where is your inf- inspiration coming from? Well, I was inspired by the Beatles, definitely. Um, their music composure uh, I was like a backbone to my reality. But I would have to say Julie Morettu and um, Matthew Ritchie. These are two painters that paint in similar approach as I do. Um, more contemporary artists. I enjoy also like the Coen brothers and Quentin Tarantino and as movie references, the way they film the pieces, color dynamics. Have you thought about doing any blood spatter work? They kind of look like that now, almost like murder scenes. Is that what you're going for? Hopefully not, because my main people who buy these things are, are against murder. Right. I mean, generally, people are anti-murder. Yeah. Generally speaking. Generally. Wow. Well, that's... You got to know your audience. Yeah, so it's a narrow path, but that's where I'm go with it. But see, once you can paint murder and have those people buy it, then you've made it. Yeah, yeah. Once you can get people to pay for things that they are abhorrently against, there you've arrived, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, L, you talked about the Coen Brothers. How does cinema affect? Your, your artwork? Do you just get these images and you try to recreate them or are there more feelings associated and, and those feelings come out in your work? Yeah, I think the, the dialogue between characters is reflected, but I would never say that my work is based on Quentin Tarantino's more than it just gets me excited to make something creative. Were you bummed that he didn't make his last movie because they uh, released his script yeah, yeah, somebody ripped it off and put I it on the internet. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. This is news to me. Well, breaking, Yeah, Mr. Tarantino was not happy. He said, no, I'm not going to make this movie now. This is what happens when you release my scripts. When you're royal like that, I, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you make two Kill Bill movies, and all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> you just not make something. Well, I kind of prefer his earlier work. 
yeah, Reservoir right. Dogs mm-hmm. and others. I, I just feel like the the raw grittiness Tarantino as this budding indie filmmaker and what he was able to do. Yeah, I like that much more too. I feel like his recent work does reflect uh, a little too obviously from past uh, profiles of certain types of things. The bank robbery scene and Pulp Fiction um, has its dynamics of being cut up strange. Those two early ones, I feel, are a little less uh, uh, pinpointed as a certain type of film and more timeless, in my opinion. Absolutely. But I, you know, I, I'm no stranger to his uh, later works in Glorious Bastards. I thought was a, a wonderful remake of the original. I thought he did a, a marvelous job. And that's that. the one with Bre- uh, Brad Pitt in there? You betcha. Oh, the beautiful Brad Pitt. Well, and that's not why I like it, but it certainly doesn't yeah. hurt. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Christoph Waltz does a great job. I mean, just lovely. Yeah. But how do you get that movement in your work? Because obviously those are visual mediums where, you know, you're actually seeing moving pictures, mm-hmm. as they used to call them in the day. Back in the days. Jack Warner used to call me one-take booter back in the 20s. <laughs> That's nice. That's true. Good man. <laughs> Good man, Jack Warner. Uh, how do I translate that movement? Um, I would definitely have to do it by physical activity. My stuff is very process-oriented, so pouring the work down and then looking into what I'm painting, letting it talk back to me is very important. How does it talk back to you? In slight whispers, Mm. suggestive notions, sometimes restless sleep activity. That was the most lovely description (laughs) anyone could have given for their artwork talking to them. Thank you. No, thank you, sir. Because that actually paints a beautiful picture about how you interface with your work. Mm -hmm. What happens when you have a piece you just hate? I usually destroy it. Oh, my. Yeah, or paint over it, but I don't see it as lost because these are all children of mine, so I can't let them go to the wayside. So you're fine aborting a picture every now and again? Pretty much. Okay. Or sending it off to be adopted. Well, L, where would you put them? Where would you send them to be adopted? Pretty much uh, any business or friend. Uh, Typically, if I can't fix it, then it goes to someone who will keep it alive. Well, I'm not going to be shamelessly plugging for a small discarded work, but if ever you have one, we'd love to put one in the studio. Definitely. We'll, we'll take a picture of it and we'll put it out there so people can actually see it. I appreciate that. Actually, some of your pictures, some of your artwork uh, and paintings are up on our website. Yep, definitely the newest ones for the Ethiopia uh, auction that's going, going on. Everything that uh, we sell from this opening which lasts for about a month, I think the end of August, uh, will go to fund art and um, the school overall. Excellent. Is there a way that people can bid or purchase those online? There is. Uh, most cases we can connect you with my email or with Jess at jditto at Connected Nations. Um, we can also go through Facebook as well. Excellent. Okay, well, we will have that information up on our website as well. So if you are excited, if you want a piece from Lennon, if you look at it and you love it and you want to buy it, we will help you get connected with him because we want you to have a piece of his hanging in your home or place of business. Yes, please. Hopefully don't put it in your bathroom, though, because I think these pieces are a little bit better than bathroom coverings. True. True. But if, when you're relieving yourself, you want a colorful palette behind and or in front of you, there's no better place to go. Definitely. I can make that happen. I do support, I want you to know, I do support the Art for Ethiopia project. And again, you can go to our website and find out more about that. And you can go to the Kickstarter and donate. Have fun. See it on our website. And uh, I hope you're enjoying what you're seeing here and what you see there. So, Lennon, were you able to do art anywhere other than in your hometown? 
I well, I got trained in Boulder, Colorado. I uh, I love that location. Do a lot of skiing, do you? I unfortunately not. Mm. Rock climbing was more my direction. I love going skiing. I just didn't want to end up like Sunny. Oh, uh, if you don't know, Sonny is our producer, and he's kind of a ski bunny. I'm not going to lie about it. He certainly wears a beanie in all kinds of weather. I assume it's because of his uh, years on the slopes. No, no, I'm thinking of Sonny. He's thinking of Sonny Bono, who hit a tree. I thought it was my producer. My bad. I shouldn't have been winking at him. No, you should not have been winking at them. That sends bad signals. Sorry, guys. I mean, he doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah. It's hard to include you. No, always include him. I love including him. I wish you could see a picture of him. We'll flash that in a moment. And he's single. I don't know that he wants that on the, the air here. Hey, it couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt. Ladies. We can get you attached to Mr. Sonny, too, if you'd like. <laughs> but we'll keep that on the DL for now. Okay. Now, you were in Boulder, Colorado. Any rock slides? None. A lot of deer. Brush fires. Mm, couple. Hailstorms. Maybe two or three. It was a nice afternoon in most cases. Monsoons? None. None. Yeah. It's pretty much 360 days of sun. What? Yeah. It's pretty wild. So much sun. Yeah. I don't think that's healthy. Probably not. A hat would help. Perhaps a, a light sunscreen. Perhaps yeah. a moisturizer with a light SPF. Yeah, you don't want to overdo it because you got to brown a little bit. Right. You want to be like a, a nice golden color. Mm-hmm. Do you ever paint in specific color palettes or, or color schemes? Uh, not on purpose. I think mainly the approach is intuitive. So when I start making a piece that's successful, I breed more of them and then try to figure out that combination. Just like if I was making a song out of various chords, I'll keep those chords until I maximize it. And then I'll switch over to another chord structure. So are you also a musician as well? I attempt, but I wouldn't say that exactly. So I enjoy it, I play it, but I could never do this live. Well, if you take a little thing, uh, a lesson from my good friend Bill O'Reilly, we always do it live. And have you ever had to do live painting or or painting in front of an audience? Have you ever attempted this? Kind of like live music. I sort of, I yeah. want to do one for Night Market, hopefully. Oh, which so. is, a, I assume, sort of a, an event in the evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here in town. some sort of things that people sell. Yeah, selling booths, coffee to foods to participative activities. So maybe I can like put a big canvas up and do something like the, the mural idea. Something more immediate. The stuff behind us is, of course, takes months to produce. I'm always fascinated by those people who do the sand and they're, they have a little projector thing and they do things out of the sand and you can see the different shapes and then they move it and they sculpt something else. Do you know of these people? Like sandcastles? No, not sandcastles <laughs> per se. Now, I will say that I am always, always in need of a good shot of a sandcastle. And as I always say, sandcastles here one minute, gone the next. Exactly. Prime real estate, gone. It's sad. Very. I don't know if it's as sad as when your digital uh, teacher said, go away. I don't think it's that sad. It was close to that. But, you know, I was open with, uh, you know, welcome and open arms to painting. Which is great. And that's got to feel wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got to feel so validating when somebody sees some of your work and says, 
that's great. And not only that's great, but hey, I'd like to buy one of those. Definitely. Help support the independent artists um, in any form. So, And it's interesting that you teach as well because in some of the things that I'm reading, we're noticing that artists are having several jobs or at least one job to support their life and then their art is sort of a secondary endeavor definitely and you know i'm trying you know to encourage people to sell their work but after a while to let your work grow you need some sort of other income of course so you don't weigh it so much on the product that the hospital or a company that wants you to make Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, people can get joy and delight out of seeing it in those places as well. Mm -hmm. Is there a place where you really would love to see your artwork hang? I'd love to get more work in hospitals. I feel like uh, a big part of me wants to heal or or attempt to heal somebody through art. Do you want to be the artistic patch? I I would say, yeah. Would, would, Would you not want to be that? And we're speaking as an example of Patch Adams. Right. No, I mean... For our viewers who may not know. It's a little raw right now for me, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I would love to be the the talk show host Patch Adams. That would be amazing. That would be. That would be. Now, now, I guess any other locations would be cool. I would love to do what I did in Ethiopia, but here, and then get the school involved as well. Similar situation, but you know, we have art education here in town, but we don't necessarily bring it to the streets. So, Do you think it would be more educational to have my visage, you know, sort of promoted out there for the populace? Do you think that would help people get into art more? I feel like it. I mean, just something glory related and Mm. something just so Mm. pure and innocent and with Mm. all the the stuff we can learn from. I mean, the golden ratio must be in there somewhere. Indeed it shall. Do you think we could do something with like a chariot of fire? Oh, yeah, and pulled by wild wolves, if you'd like. Yes. We can put velvet in there somewhere. Velvet. Oh, are we wanting to do sort of like a velvet Elvis sort of thing? We could do that. What do you think? Oh, mind blown. (laughs) Mind blown right now. Definitely. Yeah. Let's, Let's talk. Let's start collaborating. Let's stop, collaborate and listen, and see how we can't make that happen. I think it's possible. So, Lennon, anything that you would like to tell the listeners? I always give people an opportunity. Yeah, I guess my only concern is to be involved with the Ethiopia uh, project that we are pushing at the moment, uh, mainly because uh, this is the first charity that I've gotten involved with, but Jess has done so much research in this location, so I feel very confident that this is a bunch of people that could use our help, and the best way that I can do that is turning painting into money for them, and for you guys, even the smallest donation uh, will help take a child much further, and um, you really understand what you have once you go there. That's great. Now, if people want to find you on the web, where do they need to go? Go to mynamelennonmaholsky.com. Maholsky. So it'll be just first and last name. You want to spell that for them? M-I-C-H-A-L-S-K-I. And he sang it. It's almost, it's reminiscent of one of my favorite melodies from Mickey Mouse. Oh, boy. (laughs) Lennon, you did a great job. (laughs) Exactly. Pluto, get the carriage. (laughs) It's time to go. Exactly. Well, Lennon, thank you so much for being here. It has been a pleasure. Check out the website. Go, 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 go. You're going to be glad you did. And as always, I'm Emery Booterbaugh, and this has been another episode of The Booterverse. 
Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to send a special thanks to Lennon L. Mahalski for being on the show. I'd also like to thank Courtney and Sonny and the production team for all their work. Without them, none of this would be possible. A thanks to Quadrants for composing our theme song, and to you, the listeners, for all your support. Without you, getting in front of a mic would be a lot less rewarding. For those of you who don't know, the Booterverse is on iTunes, so you can go, click, and subscribe. And for those of you who haven't gotten enough of me on the show, I'm on social media under the handle The Booter. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Because, you know, men should be on Pinterest? We all know interstellar travel is a bit difficult. But the Booterverse is only a click away.